0: Awesome. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. Awesome. Well, for those of you who do not uh, know me, my name's Andrew. Um, I'm currently on staff here as the junior high pastor, and I'm uh, pretty hard to miss. I pretty much carry this awesome gallon of water with me wherever I go. So if you ever have a doubt as to who the knucklehead with the water bottle is, it's me. Um, I'm excited to be here with you guys tonight. I, uh, I find it. Um, a neat opportunity and a privilege to open the Word of God with you. And, and I, I wanted to just give you a brief 30-second snapshot of who I am. I always find it uh, much more personable to be able to listen to somebody when you know a little bit about who they are and about where they come from. So a brief background on, on me. I grew up in Southern California, a uh, family of five. I'm the oldest of three children. And I lived in California to about the age of 12. At which time, my family and I moved to Central America, where we served as missionaries until I was about 17 years old. And we uh, we moved back stateside at the when I was about 17. I finished up high school. My uh, younger brother and younger sister also finished up high school. and We all three went on to attend Calvary Chapel Bible College in California, where through a, a series of awesome events, we all met our future spouses. Uh, so... The uh, Calvary Chapel Bridal College holds true to its name. the Lord has also, uh, he's brought my, my brother and I out here to Colorado Springs. So we've moved out here about five and a half years ago uh, with our wives and our families. And we're slowly growing them. My parents also have moved here to Colorado Springs. They're actually on staff at a sister church here in, uh, in the Springs, uh, Calvary Chapel Worship Center. And they serve as the children's ministry directors over there. And that's a huge blessing. My wife and I have... A beautiful boy, a year and four months old. His name is Judah. You may have seen him walking around. He has just learned how to emphatically say the word no. So you, I cover your I mean, it, it literally, it looks something along these lines. No. I mean, it, it is just, it's adorable yet frustrating. And, and we have one on the way. So we're expecting again in October. So um, that's a huge blessing. So we're excited about that. So he will have his younger brother. Um, About three years ago, the Lord opened up an opportunity for me to be on staff here part-time, serving with the youth department, which turned into a full-time pastoral role about a year after that. And uh, at which time, I I literally did not see it coming. In fact, I was quite fearful when... The Lord made it evident of his calling on my life to shepherd those who were uh, his sheep. Um, but the Lord continues to shower his grace upon me and to even amaze me at what he's capable of doing. So um, it's, it has been a huge blessing to be able to serve here with the youth. And I see the Lord doing a lot, a verse that the Lord's really put on my heart for the youth this year uh, because I directly serve with them. It is Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And there's such a a truth that there's these young people and obviously many of your kids where Christ has created them for, for these good works that we should walk in them. And my desire is that they would just come to the knowledge of who Christ is, that we would come to the knowledge of who Christ is, what he's done, so that we can walk in these good works. So, as we uh, begin our study today, I'm going to open up with a, just a word of prayer. And here's something that the Lord has really been challenging me with before I open up the word, is to have expectations. And, and expectations really show our belief in something. They are an expression of the hope that we have. And you guys can relate to this, because I'm sure on Christmas morning, you wake up with great expectations. You expect to receive something awesome On Christmas morning, or to spend an interesting day with your family, what have you. And I believe that the Lord would have us to be expectant tonight so that He could meet our expectations. And not just tonight, but every time we open up the Word of God, we should expect the Lord to speak to us and to He has the power and the ability to change our lives. So would you bow your heads with me as we just give this time to the Lord? Dear Heavenly Father, we do want to just pause tonight and to come to you with all that we are. And Lord, I pray that you would, you would clearly speak through your word tonight. Lord, may we be expectant of you. Would you set me aside, Lord, and would you communicate through me that which you would have for us to see from your word. We praise you. We love you. We expect to hear from you. We thank you for Jesus Christ and that we have audience with you because of him. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. amen. So as, as, a, as a young kid, I, I just have to tell you, I've always been fascinated with gymnast, And I, there's a point to this. Um, These are those individuals who could wield themselves in many different directions, doing the the flips and the cartwheels. And I became so inspired at one point in time that I actually sought out somebody to teach me how to do a standing backflip. I thought if I could do a standing backflip, I would be the coolest dude around. So me and my brother went, and sure enough, we found somebody who knew how to coach at least the basics of that. And I got to the point where I could do a standing backflip, which I will not attempt to do now. And you're going to find out why. (laughs) Because I vividly remember in the process of learning to do the staying backflip what it felt like to over-rotate. So as I'm whirling through the air like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, yes, they're awesome. And I, I find myself... In my head, still going backwards, maybe my head was too heavy, I don't know. And I did what I thought was the only logical thing to do. Don't hit your head, go the opposite direction, go back forward. So when my chin found my knees, yeah, um, I thank God that I kept all my teeth. And to this day, I still praise the Lord for those gymnasts who can do things the right way. And I will gladly cheer them on from the comfort of my television. Um, But in all seriousness, I I learned, I did find one thing very fascinating. I learned a a very valuable truth in that uh, training, and it was this. Where the head goes, the body follows. Will you say that with me tonight? Where the head goes, the body follows. And this holds true for, for many sports. Martial arts, you're taught that if you can... If you can direct your opponent's or the, um, your attacker's head, you can control their whole body. When, when, when you see a, a ballerina do a, a pirouette, I think I said that correctly, she, she has her head up, her eyes are up, and it keeps her body balanced. It keeps everything going in the right direction. But it doesn't just hold true scientifically for us in a physical truth, but it also this holds true for us spiritually, and I pray that we see that tonight. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8 with me. I'm going to make you do what I have the youth kids do. Put your Bible in the air when you get there so I know that you're tracking along, so that I'm not losing anyone, or your technological device if you're on that tonight. Awesome. I want to make sure that I have most everyone here. So if I was to give this t- message a title tonight, it would be just that. It would be where the head goes, the body follows. And, and where we're picking up in Romans, just to give you a background, Paul is writing this letter of Romans addressing some very key doctrines in the Christian faith, our foundational beliefs. And thus far, he's already tackled our sin nature and our depravity. We, we know that The wages of sin is what? Fill in the blank. Death. But the gift of God's eternal life, Romans 6.23. And so that points us to our need for salvation. And then Paul goes through a series of awesome almost cake course, let me rephrase, court case type literature to formulate a, a very fine written argument of what salvation looks like. And so we see that we have a need for salvation and we cannot just earn our justification. That is, to be made in right relationship in the sight of God. And so we, we learn that from Romans three twenty three: for all have sinned and what? Fall short, glory of God, right? And so as we pick up tonight, we, we see that there's a need to... Restore this broken relationship between man and a holy God in heaven. We literally needed somebody to step in and save us from the course that we were on. And Ephesians chapter 2 says that the course that we were on was this. It says, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. So as we begin in verse 1 of Romans 8, we're going to see this blessing of what has been accomplished through Jesus Christ. So begin with me, if you will, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus Amen. Throughout Scripture, we see this amazing truth that God has provided salvation. Literally, to be saved from our sinful state. When we put our faith and trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection... This is a truth that we as Christians should never get tired of hearing of. It shouldn't, shouldn't be this thing where you walk and you're like, oh, I've heard that. It's not that big of a deal. That's a great children's bedtime story. No. This should be something that excites our hearts. It should be something that we stand in awe of, that we find hope for our lives in. In the junior high, we're currently teaching through a series of, on doctrine, the, literally the foundational things that we as Christians believe and we've spent several weeks just studying and contemplating the awesomeness of this work of salvation. Imagine with me the, the back in time, go back in history, and, and, and we know that man is at odds with God. Sin has separated us from a holy God, and Jesus Christ is the means by which God chooses to step in and provide this salvation. He's born as a baby. He's raised amongst sinful human beings, yet he does it all without sin. And throughout this whole entire time, Satan wants God's man really dead. Satan's thinking, man, if I can defeat Jesus Christ, then I will win this battle. And we know that Satan wanted Jesus to die. It says all throughout scripture that the scribes and the Pharisees plotted against Jesus to kill him. We know that in scripture it says that Judas Iscariot had Satan put in his heart to betray Jesus and we ultimately know that that led Christ to the cross. But this just blows my mind. As we were studying this topic of salvation in the junior high, I saw this awesome real this picture that Satan had no idea what the cross was going to accomplish. Amen. He thought that he had it won. He thought that, man, if I could kill God's man, then that's it. I'm, it's done. And we see that Jesus Christ goes to the cross, He suffers the wrath of God that is poured out on all sin. And in John 1930, Jesus cries out as he's hanging on the cross, "It is finished!" Literally, tetelestai, or the certificate of the debt is paid in full. It is completely complete. What debt, what certificate, what is finished? For the wages of sin is death. Our wages against the holy God was paid in full by Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen? That, that just, I mean, like, I think about that. I get, like, goosebumps. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, Lord, that is just the most awesome thing. Satan probably had one of those, oh, shoot, moments. Like, did he just say what I think he said? Did he say to tell, like, he's like, oh. He had no idea that was coming. I mean, he's not God. He didn't know that that was coming. Otherwise, he would have never let that take place. And so this work of salvation is something to stand in awe of. It's something for us to not just enjoy a little bit but for us to rejoice in as Christians and now we don't it doesn't just stop there that's that's the awesome part about the story it doesn't just stop there Christ is risen from the dead and then it says in second Corinthians five twenty one, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness in of God in him Literally, as soon as Jesus Christ cries out, gives up his spirit, we're told that the temple veil, the thing that once separated God from man, the Holy of Holies from the holy place, is ripped from top to bottom, showing that a way of provision has been made for us to now approach and have a relationship with a holy God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, man. I could stop right there and just be content. I really could. But now that we've been freed from the law of sin and death, as verse 2 has just told us, there is this truth that we now get to walk in this salvation. And that's really where we're headed tonight. What it looks like to walk in the newness of life as those who are separated unto God, or what the Bible calls sanctified. Set apart for his good pleasure, for his use. And this is where the Lord has really been challenging me and ministering to me personally over the last three months. And I really do pray that the Lord encourages you tonight, that he speaks to you in a very personal way tonight about what it looks like to walk in this salvation that he's provided and to be set apart for him. And we're going to jump into verse 5 in a minute, but and that's really where we're going to see the text where it, it nails down this walking in salvation. But before we go there, I have to tell you this. that I've been raised in the church, in a loving Christian home, and I've read through certain sections of Scripture a lot of times, or at least heard them taught many times. And Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 21, is one that I believe I related to all growing up, and you've probably heard, and you relate to as well. And it talks about this inward struggle that we have as Christians. Paul really does a great job at outlining this tug-of-war. So look at verses 14 through 21 of Romans 7, back just one page. I want to look at this tug-of-war before we get into verse 5. It says, beginning in verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, But I am carnal, sold under sin. Now here comes the tug of war. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is ever present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I, I do not find it. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. And so we see this inward struggle, and if, you, if you're... Man, if you've been walking with the Lord for any period of time, you know that there is a very real pull of the flesh against our spirit. And you know that there's this this tug of war that's going on. And it's not just something that we can't relate to or that others couldn't relate to in the past. Because I think of Jesus as he comes to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. He finds Peter and the rest of the disciples asleep. He's praying about going to the cross saying, Father, if you will, let this cut pass from me. And he goes and he finds his disciples sleeping and he says to them in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Here it comes. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And for the longest time, I've seen these verses and I thought, yeah, yeah. I know this inward struggle is tug-of-war, and I'm always going to just deal with that. That, That's just a part of life. It's it's always going to be present with me. And to an extent, that's true. The flesh, as long as we're trapped in this thing, it's sinful, and we're stuck in it. But as I began to connect the dots of salvation, redemption, what it accomplished God began to really minister to me in a special way because he showed me that my spirit is redeemed. That means it's been bought at a price. That which is eternal within me has been bought at a price and it is completely complete. It is finished. And it is now sealed until I see Jesus Christ and my Lord and Savior face to face. But yet my body, that which is sin, that which is carnal, is ever present with me until, God bless the day I die. (laughs) When I shed off this tent, this temporal dwelling place. Amen. So we know where our spirit stands because of salvation. We know where our flesh is because of our sin nature. But we also know this, that we are created spirit, soul, and body. So that leaves one thing that I believe I would like to address tonight and examine tonight together. Something that I believe is key in this topic of walking in salvation. Walking in sanctification, and that is the mind. So beginning in verse 5, back in Romans chapter 8, it picks up and Paul continues and it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. As I read this verse, something profound, or at least something profound to me, hit me. Where the head goes, the body follows. I'm going to say that again and read it one more time. Where the head goes, the body follows. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. There's something that we can actively do and be a part of to determine what has the upper ground in this spiritual tug-of-war in Romans chapter 7. this this flesh warring against the spirit, there is a middle ground as to what gains the upper hand. Where is my mind being set? I'm realizing that many of the struggles that I deal with were as a result of my mind being set on the things of the flesh. Things like emptiness, loneliness, dissatisfaction, confusion, anxiety, condemnation. The list goes on. But we see there's a difference when the mind is set on the spirit and not on the flesh. Because when I'm struggling with emptiness, I remember the words of Christ in John 14. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with and in him. Loneliness. James 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Dissatisfaction. When I struggle with dissatisfaction and my mind set on the flesh, man, I'm just so dissatisfied, Lord. Nothing ever seems to be working out the way that I want it to. God reminds me clearly. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Are you satisfied with me, Andrew? Are you satisfied in me and the salvation that I provided? 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Confusion. Man, how many times have I walked around and I just get in my flesh and I'm just like, Lord, this. It, it, I mean, maybe I'm not even talking to the Lord at this point. I'm just confused and there's no hope. Man, for God is not an author of confusion but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. 1 Corinthians 14.33. Anxiety. Whoa. Here's one that I can relate to this month. There's a lot of different things playing into life as, as, we, as I grow up. I'm, I'm still growing up, yes, right? Sometimes I'm like, man, I, it is so appropriate that I hang out with junior high kids. Yeah. Learning how to be a father for the first time and now <laughs> learning what it's going to be like to do man-to-man defense anxiety be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus when I'm dealing with condemnation I read Romans 8 1 there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit You see the difference, church. The Lord's really began to just show me how real this can be. It didn't just have to be some churchy teaching of walking in sanctification or walking in the salvation. It wasn't some mystical mantra or chant. Set my mind on the things of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Set my mind on the things of the Spirit. Right? You might get that if you go down to Manitou. I don't know, but no, it's it, this is real, and more than that, it's necessary for my spiritual vitality. It's necessary for my spiritual vitality to have my mind set on the things of the spirit. Now, here comes the part that no one likes because it's getting real with the text. We've heard this truth. We know. That it's true that where the head goes, the body follows. So where is my mind? Is it on the things of the flesh or on the things of the spirit? Or let me rephrase it. What are the things in my life that cause my mind to be on the flesh and not the spirit? If these things are true, then I need to evaluate the things that my mind is being set upon. How do my friends and relationships affect my mind? Do they draw me towards the flesh or do they draw me towards the spirit? How does my music affect my mind? Whoa, you did not just go there, Andrew. Yeah. And if I'm being honest, this was huge for me, right? And it, not, not to the point where I'm sitting there listening to Marilyn Manson or anything, but, but I, I'm driving down the road, sunny Colorado, listening to country music. I'm not saying country music is sinful. Give me 30 seconds. But I, I find myself listening to music, and then what do I find myself meditating on? Calling in sick to go have a day for me. Hey, I'm going to call in sick, and and then I'm going to go drinking and partying and have the time of my life with no consequences whatsoever. If you think about it, there's some truth in what's being communicated as to how people think. How my mind slowly lets some things into the back door. It's all about me. She thinks my tractor's green, right? It's green, yeah. That's the one. So the Lord began to challenge me. Andrew, what what is it that you're listening to? Where where is your mind? And I find my, my mind having this slow fade. Where it's slowly gravitating, not towards Christ, but I find I found an uneasiness in my spirit where I'm I'm letting these things in, but then I'm like, I realize that five hours down the road, man, why am I having such a bad day? Why can I not think about anything except for how dissatisfied I am? How bad I feel, or woe is me, because I didn't get what that song was talking about, because I'm like, man, life should just be easy, I should just be able to cruise, right? And, and I began to just really take this as a personal challenge and conviction, and I honestly have tried and made it my effort to start listening to Christian music, which everybody's like, oh, Christian music, they just don't have the talent, no offense, right? Right? That's what I hear a lot. Oh, they just, yeah, they're good. And as I started to really actively pursue that, oh my gosh, my mindset has been really changed. I find myself meditating more upon the Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that it's it's music. Maybe for you there's other forms of media for us to evaluate. But I do know this, that there's been seasons where I've not taken much consideration to the seriousness of its effects on my mind. And I'm not... Building a sermon on music, don't get me wrong. But when people like Katy Perry, Rihanna, Beyonce, Jay Z, Kesha, the list goes on and on of chart toppers that are currently out there that we slowly let into the back of our minds who do not sing about anything that's glorifying to God. And that much we can determine by lyrics and what they represent. Are we evaluating what our mind is upon? Other forms of media that were the slow fade, literally Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, Instagram, selfie, nice. TV shows, I don't know, I I, I don't watch TV shows, so I really can't list them for you, I'm sorry. But, But maybe it's relationships, Are we evaluating our relationships and where they bring our mind? Is there compromising of your convictions in relationships? Is there conversations that are being maintained in these relationships that draw you towards the flesh and not towards the spirit? Are there places that you go with these individuals? Are there things that you do in these close relationships where they're placing me not towards Christ but away from Christ? They're driving a wedge between me and the blessed salvation that's been given to me for me to walk in. Now, I, am, I want to be clear. I am not preaching behavior modification. Where someone changes their behavior to form a more perfect utopian state in which they can live without sin. That's not, that is not what I'm preaching. What I'm asking of myself and you as my brothers and sisters is considering what our reasonable response is to the work of salvation. If our lives were truly bought at a price and we have been redeemed and they are not our own, then who are we to say, I have the right to control this area of my life without consulting God about it, this God who I claim to serve? And it's just, it's just a, a healthy evaluation. Maybe there's what people classify as guilty pleasures. Which, let's be honest, that's saying, this is my sin that's for me and not for you. Things that the Bible honestly classifies as evil desires in disguise. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to or how I've been there too, where I'm like, eh, this is just my thing. Here's the point. Where the head goes, the body follows. I want to read verse 5 to you one more time from the Amplified Bible to see if it paints a slightly clearer picture. For those who are according to the flesh and are controlled by its unholy desires and set their minds on and pursue those things which gratify the flesh, but there are those who are according to the Spirit and are controlled by the desires of the Spirit and set their minds on and seek those things which gratify the Holy Spirit. And so if I'm to be honest about what I've experienced and seen, then I have a feeling that we have a tendency to forget about the gospel as our standard that we should measure our worldview and culture up against we have a tendency to allow a lot of unfiltered information to come into our lives more than we probably allow the Word of God to come in. So is it wrong or dogmatic to ask the question, what am I allowing to influence my mind or my worldview? Is, it, is that wrong to take a dogmatic stance and to look at these different things that are so popular and so common? No. No. I don't believe it. I believe it's healthy. I believe it's something that we should do frequently. Because I read in Scripture, Romans 6, 16, and you might be able to flip back a page and look at it. Do you not know, Christian, that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey? Whether to sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Do you not know? There's a seriousness in that which you choose to serve and that which you choose to let control your mind. So let me ask you this, and I don't want any public raising of hands or uh, this one actually doesn't call for a raise of hands or a, uh, an outburst of answer. What was the last thing that you intentionally set your mind on? What was the last thing that you intentionally set your mind on? And here's why I asked that question. I found that when you intentionally put your mind on something, it results in several things. It becomes a part of you. Or literally a little bit of who you are has just gone in to whatever you have set your mind upon and thus it holds greater personal value in your life. When you choose to intentionally set your mind upon something, you have given a little piece of who you are to that thing. That's number one. Number two, it builds expectations within me. When my mind is intentionally set upon something, I now have an expectation that must be met. Whether positive or negative, expectations show our belief in something and are an expression of our hope. It builds expectation. Number three, and this is where it gets dangerous. When I intentionally put my mind on something, it satisfies a longing for intimacy. And yes, I said intimacy. Because even with the most menial of tasks or things that we feel like, oh, it it's, doesn't hold that big of a deal that I've intentionally set my mind on, it, the truth is that when we do this, the reason we are setting our mind upon that is because it makes us feel valued, important, and in a way, loved. It becomes serious because if you're letting these things get in and they can get to the point where they get intimate with who you are and they become a little bit of establishing your identity of how you're valued, then should they not be considered serious? Should we not take seriously the dwelling place of our minds? What am I letting control my head? Is my head headed towards Christ or towards the flesh? Now you may ask, is there really any big deal or danger in not setting my mind on the Spirit? Well, I believe verse 6 through 8 answers that question. Romans 8, beginning in verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity or at war against God. For it is not subject or submissive to the law of God, nor can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Is there danger? Grave danger. The danger is those who walk according to the flesh cannot please God. Or literally, they're warring against their very salvation. Why would I want to fight against this thing that I rejoice in as that which sets me apart from the rest of the world? Too many times, I've taken the position of it's not that big of a deal. It's not really that big of a sin. I have the right to be angry with my spouse. She didn't meet my unspoken expectations. I'll surrender that part of my flesh to the Lord next week or next month or when I'm ready. God, that area is hands off. Let us be careful not to pacify righteousness because our flesh does not consider it a big deal. We should desire to walk in our salvation. In sanctification. Verse 9. But you are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ. He is not his. And if Christ is in you. The body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life. Because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Wow, would you pause with me and just take in verse 11 because it just hit me as I was reading it. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Yet we walk around defeated. Oh, I'm always going to struggle with this fleshly state or I can never really truly set my mind on the things of the spirit. It's just too hard. Do we really undervalue or underestimate the power that raised Christ from the dead that's living within us? This newness of life that we have the privilege of walking in is only possible because of the spirit of God who dwells in us. But even then, we still have a choice as to how much of us we permit him to have. We must allow him to become the substance that fills our minds in our lives. John the Baptist looks at Christ and he makes this declaration of, he must increase but I must decrease. It's not the other way around. We do not get more of God by making less of ourselves first. But rather, we begin to make, when we begin to make the focus of our minds and our hearts, Jesus Christ, it is then that we begin to look like our Savior. And we find the joy of walking in our salvation. I can't think of anything better than to look like or be conformed more into the image of the one man that was actually able to please God. Oh, that excites me! Just the thought that Christ is able to do that by His Spirit within us. My life is truly being—it's in the process. It's in. And it, there's no, I'm not saying that I'm way up here in my salvation or my sanctification. Three months ago, I read this, I'm like, oh my gosh. I can actually set my mind on the things of the Spirit? Whoa, what's going on? This is fresh, family. This is, this is very fresh to me. But it has given me something, I pray it gives you something, that you can evaluate your life up against. I know that my Spirit is redeemed. I know that my flesh is ever with me. But my mind, that I can intentionally set upon the Spirit. I can, even if it's this much of saying, God, I don't know how to do this, but I do desire this. Christ, would you have control of my mind? Where the head goes, the body follows. I'd like to, I want to close in just reading through and turn in your Bibles with me if you would to Colossians chapter three. I want to read through this section of scripture because I find it a very practical section of scripture to help us with this evaluation. Colossians chapter three, and I'll wait for most everyone to get there. Beginning in verse 1, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death, or literally stop completely, your members which are on the earth. And here comes a list of healthy evaluation, the things of the flesh. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire. And I wonder what could be tied into that one. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now, you yourselves are to put off these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew nor circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God... Holy and beloved, put on or put your mind even upon tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And here comes the blessed promise that we receive by walking in the Spirit and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful amen let's pray lord i i thank you so much i praise you for salvation I thank you that you've provided a new life for me to walk in. I stand in awe of it. Lord, I'm overwhelmed by your word and that it always brings that which is true and it brings us back to your heart for us. And Lord, we know that you would have us to walk in this salvation that you provided, that you would have us to set our mind upon you and the work that you have done. So Lord, we, we pray that you would bring conviction where there needs to be conviction. Bring exhortation where there needs to be exhortation. We pray that you would allow us to health, healthily evaluate our hearts, and our minds before you tonight. And Lord, where there's a need for us to surrender, may we surrender. Lord, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, but I thank you that the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within us. We thank you that you are the author and finisher of our faith. Amen.